Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real stories, real people, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host and joining me as always, my co-host in life, my, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Jess Jen. And you're along with us as we keep the hope train and moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo! How you doing today, Jen? I am doing fantabulous. Whoa. Yeah. You just threw me off there for a That's second. Big word. It is fantabulous. Why? Why are you doing so fantabulous? Well, because I woke up today and I am blessed and I am loved and I am here and all the things. You are blessed. You are loved. You are favored. You are beautiful. And I love the cute little hat you got going on. You got a new hat yeah. that says "Unstoppable." That's right. I are you unstoppable, Jennifer? Yes. It was. It was sent to me, and I like it. I do like it. I think it's yeah. a very, very cool hat. So. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy the smoke's abating a bit. I feel yes. like we woke up this morning and there was a little less smoke here in Northern California. <sighs> For those of you that do not live in California, this may be news to you. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've seen it. But California is on fire, especially in the northern part where we live. Yeah, All around us, we got fires everywhere. Not been fun. Yeah, we wake up and um, I've never, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever had this much smoke um, around. Yeah, like it's been wake bad. up and, it, and, it's, and it's almost like a thick fog, and what you can't go outside. The what is it? The AQI AQI was like almost four hundred. Yeah, that's a lot. That's unhealthy, hazardous. Stay in your house. I know. It's gross. But then it, you know what? You know what's really bad hmm. is when you can smell it in your house when you haven't even left. Oh like my you wake gosh. up in the morning, you smell it inside the house. I went to an appointment the other day, and the girl told me I smelled like fire smoke like the forest was on fire i'm like well because i live in the forest and it's on fire yes like literally it's in my hair it's coming out of your pores it's on your clothes it's like going camping and making s'mores but that's enjoyable well i mean we could pull out the s'mores if you want (laughs) (laughs) well thankfully the fires aren't close enough that we have to worry about that but uh yeah, so just happy. Looks like we're getting a little bit of a respite today, so I'm excited. I, I we got a great interview scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm really really excited for how the rest of the day is going to unfold. Me too. And I yeah I have confidence that I'm going to be the number one joke. <laughs> it's I time for so. joke time. It's time for funnies. How about Do you have we, your joke? You want to go first? How about we sling some funny? Okay. You want to make? You know, you want to make a deal? I'll make a deal. All right. You th- okay. Are you going to be honest? You're gonna you're gonna be objective about who's got the best joke. I already know who has the best joke. Jennifer, it's that's not me. being objective. <laughs> that is not objective. It's being truthful and honest. Jennifer. Okay. You've got to listen to my joke. Hold on. You ready? I always listen. I Yeah, but. I always listen. I just don't always laugh. <sighs> so I don't know if that's called a joke. Jennifer. Okay, go. It's a joke if I tell a joke. It okay. may not be funny to you, but. Tell your joke. All right, here we go. You ready? Yep. Okay, this is a longer one than normal, so it's gonna, it's, you're going to have to pay attention. All right. <laughs> a priest, a minister, and a rabbi want to see who's best at their job. So they each go into the woods and they find a bear and attempt to convert it. Later they get together. The priest begins. When I found the bear, I read to him from the catechism and sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. I found a bear by the stream, says the minister, and preached God's holy word. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him. They both look down at the rabbi, who's laying on a gurney in a body cast. Looking back, he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with the circumcision. (laughs) That's not a joke. (laughs) That was funny. A a joke is a question. (laughs) No. You're being unfair. No. Can you imagine trying to circumcise a bear? That was so long I started thinking of my to-do list in my head. Jennifer. I don't. See, this isn't being a. You lost me. Jennifer. That wasn't a joke. Oh my gosh. Do you think that was a joke? It was funny. Well, I don't even know if it was funny because I forgot the first paragraph. Oh my gosh. You always do this to me. You always do those long, weird ones. What? (laughs) It's not long, weird ones. I can't, I can't. All right, let's hear yours. Yeah, I can't stay. I understand (laughs) what you mean. (laughs) Mine's cute. Oh, I'm sure. Are you ready for it? I've been ready. It's only going to take maybe 20 seconds. Okay. Or maybe five. Ready? Jennifer, go. Okay. Why did the teddy bear say no to ice cream? 
because it's a teddy bear. Because he was stuffed. <laughs> you can't eat more ice cream if you're stuffed. I won that joke. <laughs> Yours was not a joke. It was a joke. But let's talk about ice cream. There's only two people in the world. No, let's talk about Yasso because that's not really ice cream. Two it's, people it's in the like, world. What? Two, there's only two people in the world. Why is there only two? People who love ice cream and people who are liars. Jennifer. <laughs> What's your favorite ice cream? My favorite ice cream is <laughs> evolving. It changes. <laughs> what? Right now I like Yasso. Um, not healthy ice cream. Like, what's my favorite, favorite ice yeah, cream? Yeah, not healthy. Chocolate peanut butter or something. Or oh, my gosh. That's what I was going to say with the really, really chunks. thick chunks of, of peanut frozen butter. Frozen peanut butter. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, when you get a chunk, you get, you get, you get a slathered across your tongue. Oh, my. And, like, you got to oh. chew it. Yeah. You got to chew the peanut butter. Yeah. Usually, don't chew ice cream. We're getting way off track We here. need ice cream. I know we do. Ice cream, ice cream. Um, all right. So, let's get on to our interview. How about that? Okay. <laughs> enough of our hilarity um i've got somebody coming on the podcast mm-hmm. it's got an incredible incredible story her name's samantha foster okay and she is the founder of the lighthouseproject.org and um the lighthouseproject.org is all about rescuing people that have been victims of domestic violence and abuse and her story jen it's it's gonna blow you away okay you are literally gonna get blown away I'm going to put my seatbelt on. You better put your seatbelt on. And because put this, my hair in a ponytail. Yep. This is going to be a doozy. Okay. All right. Let's call her. Let's get her on the line. All right. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome Samantha Foster to the Hope Radio Podcast. Hi, Samantha. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Sean. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you on as a guest and uh, can't wait to hear some of your backstory of hope and we're going to get into that in just a moment but i just wanted to uh for the benefit of our listeners just ask you where where do we find you where do you live right now tell us a little bit about yourself and your family yeah my name is samantha foster and right now um i live in phoenix arizona temporarily i will be moving around as i'm opening up the lighthouse project from state to state and, and relocating as i do that um my i have four grown children they are kind of spread out across the U.S., from Texas to Oregon to Washington. Um, my core family does live in Oregon, and that's where I was born and raised up at. So now yeah, you had so you, right have, now- you have four children. So I just I had to ask because Jen and I have four children as well. We have all boys, but what's your mix? Boys, girls. Right. So I have one girl and three boys. Oh, Jen kept holding out. She, she, <laughs> she just kept holding out that she was going to get her girl, but it was not to be. Nope. Oh, my goodness. I have to tell you that my, my girl, she's 23 at this point, and she is one of my best friends. <laughs> um, and we talk every day, even though that she's not here in Arizona with me. We do talk often and all the time, actually. So she's the apple of my eye for sure. Oh, that's great. I, I know that Jen was was holding out. We see we had two kids pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Our oldest is 25, and then we have a 23-year-old, and then we backed off for six and a half years because clearly we were overwhelmed. What were we were <laughs> yeah. thinking? And then uh, we decided to uh, double down and have two more, and all of them ended up being boys. So we got yeah. 25, 23, 17, and 15. So it's a crazy. <laughs> Yeah. household but it's it's been such a blessing uh, yeah. but Jen was always holding out for her girl so much so that our youngest had long hair for yeah. like you know what first nine years of his life I'm still holding out <laughs> Jennifer <laughs> this is news no, to me don't, stop. don't give up you never no, know I am not a quitter I'm not giving up she's hoping for uh I think she's hoping for uh grandbabies that are going to be girls so that she can spoil them that's true I am yeah you are yeah. right all right one day well, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I, I really want to talk about the Lighthouse Project, which is your special mission. Um, but before we get into that, you know, I think a little bit of your backstory would be helpful for our listeners. And uh, I know in our offline conversations, you were telling me a little bit about yourself. And I read online on the Lighthouse Project a little bit about your story. But I'll let you begin wherever you want to begin. But I know that this is a personal mission for you and something that you feel very, very 
uh, strongly and passionate about. So tell us a little about, um, you know, your life and your story of hope and what's led to this lighthouse project that you're spearheading. Absolutely. So my story actually begins when I was three years old and my mother married what we would call a narcissistic sociopath. And our trauma and the abuse um, started at such a young age and it continued to happen, of course, all through um, our high school age. And I repeated these patterns that we were taught and what we were shown in my own adult life, which was actually passed on to my children as well. But throughout my story and throughout my younger years, it wasn't just me that was hurting and in pain and suffering or traumatized. I had to watch my siblings also be just as traumatized. I had to watch my mother and others, whoever was associated with this person, to be just as traumatized and abused. And what was remarkable growing up is that it's not like it was hidden. It wasn't like that it was unknown. People did know about it, but nobody stepped forward and did anything about it. And so not just me, but also my siblings, we had such a rough start in life. And growing up as a as a young adult and trying to function in the world to pay our bills, uh, you know, be, integrate ourselves into society, it was an impossible task because we kept on repeating these thought patterns, these behaviors from our childhood, and we felt forsaken by God. We felt that we never belonged, that we were so different, and there was so much shame and guilt came out of it. And we pass this down to our children without knowing. It's not like we set out intentionally to do this. We were just repeating the behaviors that we knew. Yeah, and I and I can see that. I can understand that. Because, I mean, with no other frame of reference, when you're a small child growing up, all you know is what you know. All you know is what you see. All you know is what you experience. And so, contextually, it's hard for you to see the other side of life. I think it's easier today in today's technology world if people have access to technology and the internet, it's easier to see examples of of other people living quote unquote a normal life. But you know, I want to I want to um break apart what you said. So how many siblings do you have? Mm-hmm. So um, boy, my family um history is is convoluted a little bit, but uh, my father and my mother had me and my brother. So I have one full brother. Now, who lived with us within this um, family structure of the abuse um, was my two stepsisters. I had two older stepsisters, and of course, my brother and me. And then from that marriage, they also had three more children. So we have a lot of children's life that was severely impacted by this type of abuse. Now, this was uh, physical and verbal abuse? Absolutely. We got the emotional, verbal, physical, and it wasn't just physical, Sean. This was the type of torture that one would not want to think about, from being hung on the back porch and being beat to, you know, of course, the sexual abuse to just things that are inhumane, like putting the pocket knife up to one's ear or mouth because that's what the Bible says, right? To cut off the, uh, if it offends thee. So that kind of abuse, that kind of torture. So our life was always threatened. So, so, so you always more- lived in a, in, a, in a spirit of fear because you never knew what was going to come around the, the corner. And, and did I hear you say that correct? And so I'm, I'm just getting a whole new, like, epiphany and a vision here. You said that you sometimes you'd be hung, like they would hang you up by your arms or whatever to abuse you. Is that what he would do? That, that's correct. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and with you, you know, like he would whip a horse. Absolutely. This, this man that we lived with was a monster and he loved, he got off. It was a sick pleasure 
for him to torture us children. And there, there was nobody that was spared. In other words, the kids that he had with your mom, the three siblings that you had, who were 100% biological to both him and your mother, n- nobody was spared. Not even his two oldest kids. Um, I mean, it was just whoever he decided to uh, torture that day. Correct. Nobody was spared. Every, it was done a little bit differently for each person, but nobody was spared. Um, what he was going to dish out. Wow. I, that's that's an incredible... Um, when you say narcissistic sociopath, you know, I understand narcissism. I like to I like to say I'm a recovering narcissist. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, I went through hell in 2009 um, and found culminating with me dropping on my knees. And really, I mean, I was a Christian, but I was also what I call a Christian atheist, which means that, you know, I believed in God, but there wasn't a lot about my life and the way I was living it at that time that would evidence that I believed in God. So that's why I called myself a Christian atheist. But in 2009, I literally had the most profound encounter I I had ever had in my life with God and changed my life. So now I'm a recovering narcissist. So I understand the narcissistic side and the sociopath side. I mean, there's no empathy with sociopaths. There's there's no uh, remorse. There's no empathy. And it just sounds like um, living hell is how you grew up. It really was. When you come in contact with a sociopath narcissist, they are reptilian-like. You can actually watch their their body movements. You can watch their head movements. You can watch their eyes. They dart around, but they're very reptilian-like. So you know that when you run into a person with those type of body movements, let alone just what they dish out um, to uh, a target of theirs, that you know that you're dealing with somebody who is truly reptilian. They're, they are completely disconnected. Um, it's like it's been severed, if you will, um, from their, their compassion, from their empathy, um, you know, those neural pathways. So, so walk us through, how, how did you... <laughs> How did you ever get out of that? You know, like, how did you, so you said from three on, so how long did you live in that torturous, abusive world? Right, until I was 18 years old, until Mm. I graduated. And actually, I left home when I was 17, not quite 18, but I left home when I was 17. My three older siblings, which was my two stepsisters and my brother, left. Um, and they actually ran away when they were 18. They were on the run. So, and you know that we were imprisoned and lived in fear, even when you're of age and you could just leave home, that you would actually sneak out and run away. This is the type of environment that we were raised up in. So that's my journey to Portland, Oregon, because I came from a really small farm town. And... Um, I journeyed myself to to Portland, Oregon. I met with my father. Um, I met with him like a couple of times before, but I really didn't know him. But at that point in my life, I needed some severe therapy, some some counseling. I needed some intervention, and there wasn't any. I didn't have any. So I was really on my own, and I didn't know how to function as an adult. I didn't know how to function as a human being. All I knew was to run, and I was in fear. Always fear, always run. So so w- one question, I'm assuming the answer to this, but you also, I'm assuming, watched him abuse your mother too because she, I mean, she's the one that married him. And so in that situation, I'm sure all of you witnessed abuse in that regard as well. Absolutely. He was severely abused. I remember him raping her. I remember him beating her. Um, absolutely. And again, there was no help, right? Back then, there just um, wasn't anybody that was willing to step forward to help us. Everybody stayed silent, turned their back. And of course, nobody wanted to get hooked up in the drama yeah. of, um, of all of this abuse that was going on. Was this something he learned as a child? Was he raised this way? That's a, that's a really good question. I don't 
No. Mm. Um, not all of his siblings. Uh, he's got siblings. Yeah. And so I remember that his sis, a couple of his sisters were talking about him abusing them. Okay. So it just definitely started um, within his family unit of him abusing. Um, but was he taught that? I, I'm unsure. Um, I know that his father died when he was quite younger, so he was raised up by his mom. Um, so I don't think necessarily that he was taught. I think something had to have happened to, to damage a human being in that way for them to cut off all empathy and compassion. Um, so I can only assume that something very, very tragic happened to him. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, it just, when you describe this person, it, it's, it's like, it seems so, um, almost unreal. It feels like the description of a, of like some sort of movie theme, right? Yeah, like yeah. is what it, what it feels like. And I think that's the blessing that we have of never having, I was just going to say that, like, you know, yeah. ha- having to have deal with that mm-hmm. or come into contact mm-hmm. with somebody like that. But it, uh, the, the thing that I keep thinking the two words, evil incarnate, it just feels yeah. like there was there was nothing good, and it was it was all just surrendering to evil. Whatever he felt, whatever he wanted to do, however he wanted to behave, whoever he wanted to attack, whoever he wanted to approach. I mean, this is what you what you I mean, classic kind of behavior of serial killers, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. like just going after people with no with no empathy whatsoever it just does not exist. They, they they can just do anything that they want, and then there's no remorse. Um, it sounds like he was a thread or a line or super close to being capable of something like that. Absolutely, I I won't say that he's never told anybody. He's perfectly perfectly capable of doing it. Um, animals, children, and women were just at his mercy. Um, and he did have complete um, control. And really, and it's unfortunate. What I know now, what I didn't know then, was that now I was, and, and as well as my siblings, was going to seek out people that treated us like he did in some sort of fashion. That's uh, it's, that's like the chains, the chains of bondage that come along with being raised in that kind of an environment. If that's all you know, unfortunately, I think that there's some sort of a familiarity with it. At least you know how to navigate that world. You know, to your point, like I, you weren't you weren't taught how to really be a teenager. You weren't taught how to be an adult. You weren't taught any of that stuff. I mean, like you're constantly living in fear, and then it was fear and punishment, fear and punishment, fear and punishment. And um, so if that's all you know, at least there's some familiarity and you know how to navigate dealing with somebody like that because you've had a life worth of experience. Correct. Correct. So you can imagine, you know, what, what my life started out um, being and not knowing how to get myself out of that cycle. I didn't even know about cycles. I didn't even know about, you know, neural pathways and how from, you know, zero to 10 years old of that really is what you relive again, again in your life. And all of this is new in society today. So there was no education and nobody that understood what I was going through. So how could anybody really support me and and look at me like, Oh, you've been traumatized. This is what's happening. We just didn't have it back then. You know, and and I, I just you know, I'm also stuck on something else that you said that goes along with it. Not only did we not have that back then, but we didn't have the culture of awareness that I think we have now. And today's, you know, Me Too and cancel culture. It's like everybody's waiting for the opportunity to adjust wrongs into rights. And um, I believe that we have a culture today that's much better at identifying or stepping in but what what I'm stuck on is just this idea that people back then when you were a kid knew what was going on you cannot have that type of an abusive environment for a family especially with that many children and school and all that other stuff and not have people know I guess I'm just aghast that nobody 
stepped in? Why, why do you think nobody stepped in? Was it fear over this man? Was he an imposing, like, you know, like figure within the community? Or was it just apathy? Or what do you think was going on that people just didn't feel like they could step in? I think we got several different layers. And before, I was just so angry, Sean, at people that were that knew about it and didn't step in. But here's what I really think. Um, one, a narcissist sociopath is really good about instilling fear into the people around them. So I am sure that he was threatening in some way, shape, or form the people that have surrounded us um, are in, in our community. Then to further that, because of such the drama and not just the drama, but the, the circumstances of abuse, we have people that don't want to be tainted with that because it's just so negative and difficult to deal with and scary. If you watch somebody be abused that's trauma in itself and that's a really scary situation to be in so they have their own fear about approaching it um and and dealing with it and that's you know maybe he was threatening them maybe he wasn't then another layer is that you got people who don't know what to do because they don't have the tools and the resources and they've never been taught what to do in those type of circumstances. And, you know, if you want to rely completely on the government, well, that's a failed system in itself. And they're not necessarily going to protect you or give you the right tools and resources or actually intervene in the right way. Also, another layer is that so many people look at the foster care system, and they do today also as a extremely negative and um, that there's further abuse in the foster care system. And I'm not saying that there's not, but there are also really good foster care systems out there too. So people, because of their own fear and their own trauma in their life, are not really wanting to step forward and get involved in somebody else's drama or fear because they don't know how it's going to impact their own personal life. They don't yeah. want to be changed at drama. I guess, I guess the analogy that you would come up with is um, they, they might view that as stepping on a landmine. You know, who, who knows how things are going to end up for them personally, because if somebody's a narcissistic sociopath and all of a sudden you raise your awareness to them, in other words, you step in and you become the hero. Next thing you know, all of that person's, energy, focus, etc., is going to be on ruining your life in some way or form because there, there is no empathy. There is no understanding. There is no big picture view, right? So I could, I could see how that would be really, really intimidating, but I'm, I'm still just um, so surprised that not one event, my, my natural nature, I mean, I had, a, I had an occurrence like this. We were on vacationing and, uh, and we were in, where were we, Jen? Um, Bahamas. It was in the Bahamas. Yeah. And, um, I, I had to go back to the hotel room for something and I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the hotel room and, um, all of a sudden I hear this commotion and it's loud commotion and then I, and, and then I hear like a voice raise and then I see some scuffling or whatever. And I look over and here's this woman who I, you know, see she's, she's a larger woman and she's physically manhandling this other younger woman, girl, I, I quickly deduce that it's her daughter and she's yelling at her and then she takes her hand and smacks her across the, the head and continues to admonish her and kind of push and pull her. I mean, I, this is in the lobby of a hotel, right? And so nobody's doing anything. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, this ain't going to happen on my watch. I'll tell you that right now. And so like, I have this really loud voice. Like when I want them, I, I like to say my voice projects, you know, when I'm at football games, my kids can hear me out on the football field. I'll tell you that much. So all of a sudden, as loud as I could, I, could, I yell, Hey, you know, take your hand. And I walk over with authority. And I said, you know, and I take over and I said, you touch her again, you're going to have a problem with me. I'll tell you that right now. And I like, I admonish her, what are you doing? Like, how, who do you think you are that you can do that? And then she was quickly, I'm sorry, this, that, etc. And she tries to kind of meek her way out of the system to, to a little bit. And I felt like I had done my, 
my duty and my justice. And I mean, there's probably 25, 30 people around and I, you know, I made it a much bigger scene. And then, and then I, and then I left, I come back and tell Jen and then, and then something really bothered me about the whole situation. And what really bothered me was I, I knew in my heart of hearts, I made it worse. I knew that because I'd called her out, because I'd embarrassed the mom, the woman, et cetera, that that girl, whoever she was, was probably in for it, you know, that she would take double the dose or triple the dose because of the embarrassment or because, you know, whatever, whatever had caused this woman's ire in the first place, you know, now I, I had made it a much bigger issue and it, and it's just this conundrum, you know, did I actually help or did I really hurt in that situation you know was that more about me or was it more about that situation you know and it, and I, I don't know still to this day I wonder you know what's going on but I, I imagine some people may have felt the same way in you know looking at your situation I, I could imagine um also that they did you know my um my stepfather and my mother actually took us out of school so my three older siblings never did graduate because they, they had to hide the abuse. Um, so we weren't in school. It wasn't until I was the age of 16. And I didn't go to, I wasn't in high school. I missed um, seventh and eighth grade also um, from school. And I remember I took off at the age of 16 to my grandparents' home. And I remember telling them, I don't want to go back home. I'm tired of the abuse, and I want to go to school. Is this your mom's parents? And, yeah, my mom's parents. So at that point in my life, um, I'd already been started the um, habit of running away from danger and fear, but they allowed me to stay there, and they allowed me to go to school. And when I went to the school, what I didn't realize is that when I told them I'm not in school and I just really want my diploma and I want to graduate. Um, what I didn't realize at that point in my life is that he wasn't able to come get me at that point because now the school was alerted to there's children that haven't been in school. Yeah. So it, it did help me um, at least be able to get my diploma, but it didn't really help me out the situation because why didn't the school investigate this further? Why didn't they investigate or start asking some serious questions? Why have you been out of school? What do you mean you haven't been in school since seventh grade? And, you know, really start asking and diving into some uh, serious questions. So our system really did fail. It wasn't just our community, but the school system. Yeah. The council doctors really failed at that point because they should have been researching into it. So we were in a time frame and that was what, um, yeah, that was the eighties at that point I was in high school. Um, our system, I don't think, um, was even prepared to handle abusive situations because it was more common than not. Yeah. I, I mean, I could, I could see that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I grew up in the eighties and was in high school in the eighties as well. And I can only imagine what that was like. And you, you said it was a small town. That's where you grew up too. Right. So, um, I also imagine that law enforcement, you know, small town cops, they had to have some sort of an idea. I mean, people had to hear, you know, was he a yeller? Was he a loud person or was this just all silent kind of torture? Yeah, no, he, he was loud, and some of it was silent, but he's also a loud person. Uh, he had a criminal record that wouldn't even fit on a desk. It was so huge. So the police knew who he was. The judges knew who he was. Everybody knew. Um, this wasn't something that was private, but then again, you got, um, you know, a small town, um, this Type of domestic violence was really, I know we don't want to say it, but hey, it was normal. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that as well. Well, um, before we get on to the Lighthouse Project, because I know, I mean, I just needed that context. That context just, you know, really, really um, solidifies in my mind why this is such an important mission. But, you know, before we move on to the Lighthouse Project, uh, which was born out of your pain, out of your situation, um, just tell, for the benefit of us and our audience, you know, what happened to that man and what happened to, I mean, is he still alive? Did he pass, you know, and what happened to your siblings? Are they, 
all okay? Uh, because you sound incredibly well-adjusted given that background. I'll tell you that. I can tell there's lots of therapy there. Jen and I are both big fans of therapy. I went through six years of individual counseling myself. So I, I am a huge advocate for therapy, but you sound like somebody that would, it's unbelievable that you had that past. So I'm just curious, what happened to this abusive person, this man, this narcissistic sociopath, and then what happened to your siblings? How are they? Right. So, boy, my story just keeps going on and on and on, but he's still alive um, and he's still living. I don't go around him. I don't go around to my siblings either. I'm just not interested in being around that abuse anymore. My mother, um, he did end up killing my mother, and I know that they call it a suicide, um, but he came up to me after the funeral, and he said, oh, I hope I didn't do anything to cause this. Um, So, you know, it's just, there's your narcissism, right? And that was him telling me, I killed your mother. I mean, I know what that was, but you can't prove it, right? Yeah. And the small town still doesn't want to prove it. they just like, oh, it was an overdose. Well, no, it really wasn't. Um, I know what happened. He confessed it to me in his own way, and that's how narcissists do confess things. So That was just another way for him to torture you with that knowledge. That was just another torment that he could give you that you could remember and carry forward with just a few words. Words are so powerful. And, uh, that was just his way of, of planting that seed, let, letting that germinate and letting you know that he's still in control. That's, that's correct. That that's correct. And he was, I was still in that fear mode. I was still not out of that cycle. And it wasn't until I was, I think it was 46 or 46 or 47, when my uh, when I ended up in my last relationship and I was breaking it off and there was a, he kidnapped me and attempted murder on my life, that my life actually took a complete pivot and, and changed. But going back to my siblings, so I know that you asked about my siblings, that they're doing the best that they can. I think they're healing in their own way. Some are still not healing. Um, they're um, really just um, surviving day by day um, with whatever they have for us, um, you know, coming in that day, whether it's alcohol or maybe being a workaholic, the anger, they have their own abusive, you know, kind of trade because they, you know, they live in fear. And I understand because I know I've seen what happened to them. Um, and so I see these, my siblings as an extension of me and how they're just trying to cope with all the abuse and all of that fear and that trauma that's been laid upon their heart um, and in their life and how it shapes their life. And not everybody wakes out of that hypnotic cycle. Yeah, and some people don't have the resources, some people don't have the willpower, some people don't have the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just the ability to, to rise above. And and I just sit here and he, he ruined them. He ruined their life, you know, forever tainted in that way. Um, and that's just a horrible thing. And then, and then just to think that this guy is still around and uh, still inflicting pain, I'm assuming, on those that he can. Um, that's yeah. just horrendous. And so, you know, I, I, I missed a piece there and I didn't, I didn't want to skip it in my mind, I guess, you know, the way that you're you know, kind of describing everything and then just how you sound and your mission with the lighthouse project. Um, I guess I'm surprised that you yourself still found yourself in a, in a situation where abuse was rampant for you up until your late forties. Right. So you, I, I think you just, I think I heard you correct when you said somebody tried to kill you or almost tried to kill you or something along those lines. Yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in prison. He's in prison actually. So this and, was somebody yeah, you were in I, relationship with because, you know, again, typically the cycle tends to repeat itself. And so you, you, you understood how to deal with somebody that was abusive because that would have, had been your life. That's correct. That, that's correct. And abusive, you know, just in every way, you know, from, you know, the physical, um, of course, to the mental, to the spiritual, to even the financial. Um, it's just been a lifelong pattern. But, you know, 
that moment in time when I was kidnapped and he was going in to get the knife to kill me. And I just lost my mother, you know, in 2013. So just a couple of years um, after my, losing my mother, I found myself into the situation and I was exhausted. There wasn't anything else that I could have lost. At this point, I lost everything that I, a person could lose. And I was ready to die. So it's not like I was going to fight him from killing me. I laid it to rest and I was ready. And I thought about my children and they were all getting older. And I'm like, okay, it's my time to go. This is uh, my time that I finally get to be laid to rest and leave the suffering and the pain because I didn't know anything else but suffering and pain and loss. That was my whole entire being, my whole entire life. I'm just, I'm just, uh, (laughs) I uh, don't know what to say. Right, Jen? Like, I'm just, I'm just in a situation where um, I just immediately feel just a great sense of gratitude that, that, you know, I was lucky enough to not be in that circumstance. I mean, I just feel like some of us are blessed and some of us are not. And, and well, I feel like everybody's can be, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> just powerful. I, I listening to what you're saying, right? Well, we're all blessed, but we're all blessed. Different yeah. Ways. But, but like I hear her story and yeah. I just think about a life of torment and abuse. Right. And how, um, and this is just her story. There are probably millions of stories that, you know, are very similar. Yeah. How, how long were you in relationship with this person? That last relationship, a little bit over a year, just a little bit over a year. Mm. Um, and so I was just really, you know, repeating that same type of relationship from, you know, from one man to the next to the next. Um, and it was always in survival mode. It was always in fear. I was always on the verge of being homeless, even though I had a great career, um, but the abuse and the mental torment did lead into my career. Um, and so I was successful in my own right of, of in the accounting field and being a forensic accountant, tax accountant. But the emotional upheaval and the mental, I, I would say, mental imbalance um, and always having to run from these abusers in my life really did affect my career negatively, even though my work was extremely high quality. So what people don't realize is that when even in your profession and when we're outside and we're working in corporate offices, rather, you know, maybe a Bristol restaurant, wherever it may be, that person next to you you don't know what's going on inside of them or you don't know what's going on at home. They can look very successful, got the suit on, great body, you know, well-spoken, but they can be so abused and tormented um, just from their childhood or at home. So you don't know when you are sitting next to a victim or a survivor. You just don't. Or an abuser. Or, or an abuser. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so j- just quickly tie this loop for us. So uh, you were prepared to die. Um, this guy goes to get a knife. How, how did you survive? He ended up not stabbing me. He got the knife. He came toward me with the knife. He was going, he was acting like he was going to stab me. I just sat there. I don't know if it was something that came over me. But I remember him backing away. And I'll never forget that moment. And I'm thinking, why are you backing away? I'm ready to die. I mean, I was ready. It's like, yes, I've already imagined the knife going in my heart. I already imagined it. This was going to happen. And, I, and I, I came to peace with it. I was ready for it. And he didn't. So I don't know if it was something, maybe it was a divine intervention, John. From God, you know miracles do happen, mm-hmm. and I was left breath, um, and I was angry, 
that I, I wasn't dead. I was angry that I didn't get to die. I thought that was stolen from me. But at the same time, during that moment, I had no ego left. Um, it was like, it didn't matter what anybody thought of me anymore. I literally did die. All of the old stuff that I was raised up in, that, that persona, that ego, all the, the abuse and the trauma, it was just gone. It, it really did die. And then that's, that was the point where I started my research. Wow. It was a really deep research into why was my life the way that it was. I needed to find out answers. If I was going to live, how do I live from now on? Because I'm not going back to the old stuff. So what am I supposed to do with my life? Where, you know, where am I going and why? Why didn't I get to die? Why am I still here? And why was my life the way it was? I believe that what was, what did happen was a divine encounter, you know, because I, I remember listening to a Joel Osteen pos- podcast and he was describing the circumstance where, this woman was in some um, city that she was not familiar with. Um, something happened. She was, she's walking home, and all of a sudden, you know, three guys approach her, and she's in some sort of an alley, and she just fears the worst, and, you know, these guys are coming at her. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's facing these three guys, and all of a sudden you, you just see a sheer look of terror on all their faces, their eyes get as big as um, saucers and all of them turn around and run. And uh, there's just no worldly explanation, but apparently the the story goes that one of them was caught and and said something to the fact that there was like a nine foot or 10 foot tall white light, you know, angel looking, you know, fierce with sword, all this other stuff that was behind this woman. And, you know, she didn't know that at the time, but that's what these guys saw. It was this image and like, oh no, I'm not going anywhere close to that. Like, I just imagine that this man that was approaching you where you were ready to die had that kind of an encounter. All of a sudden he just goes, nope, I'm backing up. It's like God saying, no, I got different plans for this, Samantha. Her life is going to be different from this moment forward. You watch, I'm going to take and extract the maximum possible good out of her whole life and her situation. I believe that's what happened. I I believe you too. I think something like that exactly is what happened at that moment. And coming out from that moment, it was like I was living in a different world. It was though I was I felt like I wasn't living in reality. I was seeing everything from a different set of eyes. Whoa. And I starting to see connections and, and I continued with that. It wasn't a one moment or a one day or a two week thing. I'm still in that moment. It was like though awareness has come over me, but a divine awareness. Divine awareness, divine knowledge. All of a sudden you saw the world differently because God gave you eyes that you had never had before that to see it differently. And with that new information, with that new eyesight that he had given you everything looked new and fresh and different um i can imagine how enlightening and terrifying at the same time that might be thank you it was it was terrifying also and very enlightening i remember feeling free it's like i'm finally free i had no restrictions on me because now nobody's opinions mattered i didn't want to hear anybody's opinion and I was learning things for the first time. I was learning how to walk, if, if you will, for the first time. I was experiencing now everything for the first time. And I knew that I had to take care of me. And I knew I needed to be alone. And I know, especially for um, a codependent, what a scary thought to be alone. But it was the best time in my life. And I got rid of everything, including my vehicle, gone. Include, I mean, everything was gone. And I took two suitcases. And I knew that I needed to get away from Oregon, away from the West Coast, 
and completely by myself, I hopped on the plane to Florida, not knowing anybody, but I didn't have any fear. It's like wherever I show up is where I belong. <laughs> I love that. I love that only because I'm a very spiritual person, and I know that was 100% the Holy Spirit in you. That was God giving you that confidence. That was you resting in him and his plans for you from that moment forward. You you were, you, you know what they talk about? They talk about, you, you know, like when you accept Christ into your life, you're reborn. You just described being reborn. It was a new world, a new you, a new difference. Like everything was different. Everything, the way you thought was different. Like you became new in that moment. And I'm a completely different person. I can look back at my life and I can tell my story without the tears, without the heartache, though I know the suffering. I remember the suffering, but I don't connect to it anymore. And what I connect to, though, is we've got others in this world suffering. And that's where connection goes to, that right now, even though I'm speaking with you, what am I doing to help be that voice and save another child from suffering? saving another woman from suffering. Um, that's my heart. That's my passion. I know that's why I'm here. But also I'm here to receive love now. And even though I may not have ever received it in the past, I know also that I'm here to receive it. And the more that I am accept, uh, allowing love to come into my life in the extraordinary godly way that, I am able to have that much more compassion, kindness, and love for those who really need it. Yes. Um, that's my whole life. That's my whole being. There is nothing else for me. So that's let's, who I am. That is who you are. Let's, let's talk about who you are because you are also the Lighthouse Project. So tell us about the Lighthouse Project and what the mission is. Um, you know, I, I, I just can't wait to hear about this. I, I think you want to help protect other you know, men, women, children, etc. whoever's a victim of abuse from going through what you went through. That's correct. And really, you know, our mission um, really is about um, giving, not just protecting, um, providing those homes, providing the shelter, but also a total healing program for um, women and children who are rescued from domestic violence and human trafficking. And we're also, the Lighthouse Project is about collaboration. We're here to lift up all the other nonprofits that need that financial support, who need systems put in place, a better foundation, so they can rise in their foundations and in their missions to make an impact. This, the Lighthouse Project is a movement, Sean. So we're not just another nonprofit out there um, that is, healing others, but we're pushing forward a movement about eradicating the child abuse and eradicating human trafficking. And we're all about action. We are boots on the ground. I'm that founder and I'm that CEO that's going to get into the bloody trenches and fight us hands on. I love that. that. I call my wife, I call Jen, a Viking warrior princess with an axe and a sword. That's just the vision I get. And it sounds like you've come into your own that way. You're going to fight this abuse head on hence why you're in you know phoenix right so like yeah so tell us a little bit about the structure are the are these houses are this you, you know how does this work what you're in different areas with the lighthouse project right right so this is really where where god has taken the lighthouse project and made and, and this is really not i yes i'm the founder but i really want everybody to understand that i'm just a vessel i say yes when, when God shows up and says, here, there, go there, it's my responsibility, my accountability to say yes and, and to be that vessel. It's really God who has put this foundation together, who has put this organization together. There is no way, Sean, that I could have done this. This is not a man-made or a human-made um, organization. So how do people follow and or support the project? Given, given your description of your life and what your mission is, you know, how could people help support 
the Lighthouse Project? Is there a website? Is there a Facebook group? And, um, you, you know, you said you support other charities, you know, anything that you can share to potentially impact those that are listening that uh, feel a prompting in their spirit to want to uh, help you in your mission? We definitely, right now, we need donations um, so we can launch all of our services online as well as in person and for us to really be able to expand on our triage centers and our long-term homes. So right now, our biggest need is donations, and you can go to our website at lighthouseproject.org. There's a donate button there. You can find us on um, Facebook under Lighthouse Project um, is our Facebook page. You can find us under Instagram under Lighthouse Project. We do on Clubhouse. We have a Lighthouse Project hub um, on Clubhouse. So in every social media, including Twitter, you can find Lighthouse Project. Um, but I encourage you guys to look into our website as we're developing it and putting more and more into our website so you can read more about our projects and what we're doing. Um, but right now, our number one need is funding. Number one need is funding. Number one need is donations. So if this has touched you in some way, if you are someone that has been impacted by domestic abuse, if you're impacted by this story, if you yourself have a heart for helping others, then go to the lighthouseproject.org, right, is what you said the, the website is? Yes. Now, um, before we close out the show, number one, like, let me just say, Samantha, incredible, incredible story. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that that man did not end your life at that moment where you thought it was going to end, because I think that you're going to do some incredible things to help others with the Lighthouse Project. But I, I want to take a moment right now because I, I'm, I know especially given what we're going to title this show. I know there's going to be somebody that's, that's listening that is where you used to be, the victim of some sort of abuse in some sort, maybe the victim of some sort of torture, like you were tortured. You know, what would you say to somebody that's listening right now that could give them hope that this isn't going to be forever? What could you say to help instill some hope in others that may have experienced or are experiencing some of what you went through? that there is a different life and to reach out for help. There's a lot more available help today than there was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Reach out to the Lighthouse Project. Even though our popular system is not quite launched online yet, I'm there to talk with people. We do have our support groups that we're running right now. So to reach out to Lighthouse Project at info, at lighthouseproject.org and just let us know that you need help. That's all you got to say. I need help and I'm there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your mission. Thank you for your passion and what you're doing to come alongside your fellow humans and help end the abusive cycle that is so prevalent uh, in society today. I, I just can't thank you enough. It was a powerful, powerful interview and a powerful mission, and I wish you all the success in uh, raising funds and helping so many others come out of, um, of abuse and trauma like you were. Thank you so much, Sean, and we're going, that's why we're here, is to lift others out of that darkness. We won't fail. God does not fail. We're here for a reason. So watch the magic work through our organization. All right, Jennifer, I don't know about you, but there are very few times in an interview ever, I mean, I've done like 120 interviews where I'm speechless. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say. <laughs> she, she left me speechless. Um, I just, I can't help but listen to Samantha's story and mm -hmm. just have an immense welling of gratitude in my spirit that I've never known anything like that. That I've that nobody I know of has known a world like that, an abusive, torturous world like that. I mean, that was pretty heavy stuff. You, I mean, you, you. Yeah, it was just. I mean, I was listening. It just it was hard to like wrap your head around it, and you know, like of course I wasn't in the situation. Yeah. But like, uh, there's a million things. I'm like, why didn't they do this? Why didn't you? Do, you know, like, like I'm wondering, like. 
why didn't you fight? Why didn't you fear? You know, it's just so it's fear like that, like that, which that, is hard for me because I, I, know. I don't have that. Well, <laughs> to and, and be blessed that you don't. In other words, that you, that you did not. Yeah. Grow. But I, I kept thinking of you too yeah. because I kept imagining, you know, in your scenario, mm-hmm. like someone would have ended up not alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, we're all made different. Right. Yeah. And so we all are going to deal with circumstances differently. Yeah. So it was just interesting to hear her perspective and how she dealt with it and how, you know, they went through that because. But just think about that from three years old. I, I, I know. Like you can't know any different. Knew. And then it, like you're just, you're going to be raised to always be mm-hmm. fearful. Right. Always. Right. Like that's just the natural state. Like we, you and I have never been raised. I mean, I, I was raised in a verbally abusive household, yeah. but we've never been raised. I was raised in a household with no parents. So. Yeah. I was raised by the wolves. <laughs> so I think that's probably why I just, I, yeah. I had that fighter spirit the whole time. But just to, just all the stuff she's been through. I know. I mean, to, to be in that situation She's where, amazing. Like, she's here. She's a, she, she's a fighter in her own right, you know? like. I mean, I, my eyes started well up when she described I, I was ready. Like, she was ready yeah. to die. Like, I just, I, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just ready. Take me. Take me now. When like, I hear and that then she's upset stuff, that she didn't, yeah. you know? Almost like, like, just imagine being in that circumstance. And that's the thing. is like, when she's telling the story, like, I'm seeing me as her. Yeah. Like, I get it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's incredible. I'm so happy she's here Yeah, and it's just, wow. Like nobody should go through that. I mean, not even an ounce of that and all the things that she went through and she's still here, you know, and, and she's happy and she's smiling and she's, you know, you know, speaking, yeah. being able to tell her story. Like that's huge. I mean, to her point, she sounds like she's describing somebody else's story because exactly. you cannot a imagine movie or a bad bad movie i know but th- i think that's the grace of god because mm-hmm. she was she was mm-hmm. lifted from that yeah. she was transformed by that well now and i believe at that moment when she was gonna when she thought she was gonna die yeah that 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 was a moment of grace and i think it was a moment of life transformation he immediately in that moment made her new it's the look mm-hmm. she had because if you describe you remember how she described it yeah he's approaching her with a knife she's fully ready like i'm i'm, I'm gonna feel it i'm gonna like experientially she's like that and then all of a sudden he just had a different look on his face and started to back up yeah what would make somebody ready to kill someone else clearly in a position of superiority physically etc all of a sudden just stop in the tracks and back up god god saying no yes not today satan yes yeah like go away back off that was awesome i mean that was awesome that she just was like born again yeah you know like so cool yeah i'm so happy for her i gotta say though that guy that's still alive the guy that tortured her when i want to go punch him in the nose (laughs) i know that's not very hopeful i'm I'm gonna punch him in this ticket (laughs) (laughs) i do i just i i I just don't understand you know it's that it's that part of me right is right wrong Mm -hmm. is wrong Mm -hmm. like i'm like i you know me I'm, you always tell me, you know me, like I want to get in those situations. I like, I want to stand up yeah. for people. Right. Yeah. You so do. you do you punch them right in the nose. <laughs> you can't do that. But the, the, one of the really cool things is that she's here now to help other people. Yes. And you know, maybe that is her mission. Maybe that is the reason why she was saved. Well, like, God will extract the maximum mm-hmm. possible good out of any horrendous situation. Yeah. And that's what's happening right now. And let's support that. So lighthouseproject.org. If this story touched you in some way, if it resonated with you in some way, you know, go to that website, hit that donate yes. button, give them some contribution. Uh, let's support the cause and let's let's help to end abusive cycles like mm-hmm. the one that she went through and the one she described. Um, I think that that's, there's no greater mission than that. No. So Jen, how do people hear more of our Hope Radio podcast if they want to catch more of these types of shows? We are everywhere. We're on all the social medias and every platform that you can listen into podcasts on. You just described omnipresence. You described <laughs> God. We are everywhere. We are everywhere that audio well, podcast. Sometimes word, yeah. Sometimes words don't come out. Hope right. is everywhere. Hope is everywhere. Yes. Well, sometimes people don't feel hopeful. We're trying to make sure that hope is everywhere. So without hope, you don't have God, right? Is that true? Without hope, you don't have God. Well, I yeah, I think that you without, have to have hope. Without faith, it's very hard to have hope. Yeah. Like faith gives you hope. If you believe in a higher power, mm-hmm. 
if you believe in a creator of the universe right. that and he created everything mm-hmm. he can do anything he, that should give you hope but I if you're not faithful. faithful if you're not spiritual then yeah i could see how i live on the hope train choo 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 did you hear the hope train when we were interviewing her i did it came, went down the tracks all right so uh <laughs> we digress um i have an idea what i have an idea that we should do another podcast you always have this idea no this is the first time i've ever had it okay what we're gonna have another hope radio podcast next oh. week what do you say that's not a new idea yeah it is because it's next week this is a new week. Next week is a different week. So let's do it. You in? Right here. High five. Give me a high five.